Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm Dawn Barrent, the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for the INS. We have a really great topic today and a wonderful guest as well. Today we're talking about high-level disinfection for ultrasound probes. And my guest today is Molly Judge. And Molly Judge has a good deal of personal experience with this particular practice. Molly, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome. Thank you, Don. I'm pretty excited to be here. A little bit nervous, but um, I'm, I'm glad to share the process that we went through, our team went through to incorporate high-level disinfection into our practice. Well, very good. You don't have to be nervous because uh, this is a safe place. And we're going to, we are really interested in your story. Now, I have to tell our listening audience, I have heard Molly's story already. Uh, She presented at the National Academy of Infusion Therapy in San Diego for one of the roundtable discussions. She did a wonderful job there, and she had the clinicians at her table hanging on every word because they needed to hear what she had to say. So I am so happy that you're able to share this with our podcast listening audience as well. So Molly, before we get into that discussion, I'm going to ask you to tell me about yourself and a little bit more about your clinical practice first. Okay. Um, I've been a registered nurse for 25 years, Um, moved around a lot with my active duty Navy husband. So I did a little bit of everything in nursing with my primary focus for about 10 years was school nursing. And then when we settled down in Indiana for his last duty station, um, I just was looking for something new and fell into vascular access. Well, at the time it was the PIC team. um, And that was going on almost 12 years now. And I guess the rest you could say is history. I definitely have found my my niche, my passion. Um, I think part of that comes from being a chicken when it comes to being stuck. I (laughs) dread it every time. I have to find my happy place. Um, And I think I really feel like I'm the advocate for patients to try to get whatever access they need, the right line at the right time by the right person and uh, with the least amount of sticks. So um, I think that's kind of what drives my practice. And I really um, and, and focus also on educating future nurses just because we're not going to be around forever. So it's, it's setting the stage mm-hmm. and, and educating uh, future nurses. And I do have uh, a daughter who's a labor and delivery nurse, and my son is actually in nursing school right now. So I feel mm-hmm. like I'm Good job. breeding nurses. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Well, Molly, one of your... Um, main focuses that I could tell when you were talking was how much you cared about patients. And you you care about uh, doing the right thing for the right reasons. You care about patient safety. So I'm going to ask you to start out by telling us what prompted you to explore the need for high-level disinfection for the ultrasound probes that you use on the vascular access team. Okay. Well, um, luckily, we uh, our vascular access team has really grown in the past, since I've been on the team, in the past 11, 12 years. And um, we do place ultrasound-guided pick lines, mid lines, and ultrasound-guided 
uh, peripheral IVs. Mm-hmm. So um, we were just probably in the last year, year and a half, we had three more uh, nurses to our team, um, and so we were training them. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's a long process. It's not something that... Right. You know, a couple months. It's a right. it's a lo- ongoing process, right. and one of the um, tools that we use, and I know it's it seems trivial, but it is 2019. Facebook um, social media has a big piece to play in education if you find the right format. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the things that we shared with a couple of the new nurses on our team was the Facebook group Vascular Access Specialist and Infusion Specialist. It's a a closed group. And it just, you know, you certainly need to, um, I guess, really evaluate the information and not take everything as gospel, but there are some really good questions, topics, and things on there. So one day, one of my new coworkers had tagged me in a thread about high-level disinfection with ultrasound probes. And he said, you know, Molly Judge, have you seen this? And so I quickly responded because I had seen it, kind of glanced over it, and I, I kind of blew it off in a way and said, oh, this is more about vaginal probes and not ultrasound probes that we use. Um, and then... I I just kind of, you know, my conscience got the better of me, and I thought, I'm going to look into it a little bit further, read more of the thread. Um, And then um, Lynn Hathaway had also responded on that thread, you know, certainly looking at what your instructions for use is with your ultrasound probe. So this was, I think, a Saturday, and I went back to work on Monday, and I'm looking for my ultrasound probe uh, user manual. Mm-hmm. and found the manual on cleaning the stand. <laughs> but we did not have a manual on how to clean the ultrasound and the probe itself. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I re, you know, looked on the Internet and found um, the owner's manual for we use a Sonocyte ultrasound, and it discussed, you know, cleaning and disinfecting. And so that's when I first learned about the Spalding classifications and how Spalding several years ago in the 1950s had um, categorized different items that medical devices and categorized them in different categories of critical items, semi-critical items, and non-critical items. And when I looked at what we were using, an ultrasound probe, to break the skin and enter the vascular system, that fell under a critical item. And those critical items are recommended or part of these guidelines was that we should perform high-level disinfection to um, between patients. Mm-hmm. So that really opened up a big can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> so because you were the voice in your facility that said, hey, what about this? Yes. So I um, was looking it up, and I happened to be working with that fellow that day, and I said, you know, I really appreciate you bringing this to my attention. And that's one of the blessings of training new people and educating because you learn so much. There In healthcare, we can't know everything. Um, and there's always something that comes up. 
And so I, I looked up, like I said, the instructions for use. Then I kind of looked up spalding classifications, looked up high-level disinfection and, and what was recommended for our probe. And then I reached out to our infection preventionist and said, you know, explain to her, you know, hey, I read on Facebook, and I'm sure at, the, at first she was like, oh, gee, you know, not holding a lot of stock in it. Um, but once we had the discussion a little bit more, um, it, it really opened the doors to a huge meeting and looking at, you know, it wasn't just vascular access. This is needle-guided biopsies and nerve blocks and things like that that physicians and clinicians are using ultrasound to care for patients that we need to be looking at. Are we disinfecting this in the proper manner. Mm -hmm. So definitely the proverbial can of worms was opened in your facility. Okay. I wasn't terribly popular (laughs) at the time just because it was just really, you know, that's, it it is a big can of worms. And so we were looking at, you know, vascular, our vascular access team places lots of ultrasound guided IVs and picks and we do ultrasound guided lab draws, but we weren't the only team that uses the ultrasound. So then we started brainstorming. We got together. There was um, our infection preventionists were there, the chief nursing officer, our head of HR, our quality, our um, person who's over the ultrasound lab in radiology. Um, and we even had somebody from central sterilization there as well, just discussing, mm-hmm. you know, what does this mean and and what should we be doing and um it was uh it was a little rough uh to to work out the kinks and then looking at the cost of of what we were talking about so we're fortunate in our facility the ultrasounds that we use we can um disinfect them using a device called a trophon And we already had one in the building down in the ultrasound department. Um, But that was not going to be, it wasn't feasible to go down to radiology every time we stuck a patient. We needed Mm -hmm. something that was going to be on wheels that we could take with us. Um, So let's, let's do this. Let's, I know there's a burning question that many who perform uh, vascular access using ultrasounds. They've got a question that they want to ask right now, so I'm going to ask it for them. And we need to come back as our discussion about what transpired in your facility. We want to come back to the type of uh, method that you're using, and you just named the trophon. And I, we also want to discuss cost. So let's come back to those two pieces. But the the burning question that some people are thinking right now is we use a probe cover cover for our ultrasound. Um, if if that's part of our practice, do we still need to perform high level disinfection? Because we know that this takes some time. There's some inconvenience, some added cost, and we really don't have the probes that enough probes that we can take them out of commission for a while uh, for right. disinfection. So, could you answer the question about? probe cover use? Sure. Um, And we do use a probe cover every time we uh, perform a procedure on a patient. 
So, and, and I thought the same thing. Oh, we cover it, so we're good. Um, but then as I looked into the guidelines a little bit more, um, it did specify that even with an ultrasound probe cover, if it comes, if your probe comes in contact with blood and and the bloodstream, then you still have to perform high level disinfection, just like um, certain birth control methods that are not 100% effective. Um, ultrasound probe covers are not 100% effective as well. So mm-hmm. we need to protect our patients and make sure that we clean the ultrasound probe when we're finished with the procedure, and then. Uh, perform the high-level disinfection, whatever is um, outlined for your particular probe. Um, So that's where we started using the Trophon. Okay. So very good. So you answered that question because I think out in this community, um, that's Mm -hmm. something that is a misnomer. That's something where we're we're just a little bit confused yet. So now let's get back. Um, You discovered that you had a device in your organization that might be able to help you out, but you still had a long ways to go. So um, how many probes do, does the vascular access team have in your particular setting? So um, we have two ultrasounds for the vascular access team. So one of the things that we discussed was that we would need a backup probe for each of our ultrasounds so that it wouldn't slow us down too much. We didn't want to delay patient care. We also discussed, you know, since we found out that the Trophon was effective for our ultrasound probe, Trophon is, um, it uses heat and 35% peroxide to disinfect the probe, and the cycle takes seven minutes. Okay. So now you're going to have to draw a mental picture for our (laughs) listeners uh, can you describe what a Trophon looks like? And, you know, again, we are not promoting any particular brand. We're just having Molly tell the story of what happened at her organization and the method that they selected happens to be this product. So can you tell us what the product looks like and, and um, how the probe is actually disinfected with um, heat and peroxide? Sure. So the, the Trophon itself um, is a large rectangle box. It's probably, we use, as I said, a sonocyte ultrasound machine, so it's probably one and a half times the height of the ultrasound, and it's probably six inches deep. So it is on a stand, just like our ultrasound probe is. So when we go to a patient's bedside or to their room, we take the ultrasound with us and we take the Trophon with us. So yes, our hands are full. Um, We make sure that we plug in that uh, Trophon right outside the patient's room because it has to warm up. There's no battery backup Mm. to um, sustain that heat level, and that's one of the ways that it kills the bacteria is with heat. Okay, so, so while you're sure. in taking care of the patient and actually using the probe, mm-hmm. the disinfecting equipment is outside the door and plugged mm-hmm. in and getting ready for you to come back out. Okay. Exactly. All right, very good. So it's ready to go. And, you know, it, it probably takes maybe 10 minutes to warm up if, um, if you've been using it. If you haven't used it all night long, it could take maybe 20 minutes. I haven't really timed it. You know, when we're doing healthcare, we it takes, you know, one minute can feel like an eternity. So that's why we make sure we always plug it in as we go into the patient's room. 
So we leave it outside the room, go in, we perform our procedure, um, and as we're finished, we take the probe cover off, we clean the ultrasound probe by wiping off the gel and any debris that might be on there, and then we use whatever wipes are recommended for our ultrasound probe um, for cleansing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and as I said, this is just cleansing, not disinfecting. So um, we do all of that at the bedside as we're repositioning the bed and that kind of thing. And as we come out of the patient's room, usually by that point, our ultrasound probe is dry and ready to be put into the Trophon machine right outside the patient's door. So we just sit them right next to each other. The ultrasound probe can stay connected to the ultrasound machine, and it just kind of dangles inside. There's a door on the front of the Trophon that you open up, and you secure the ultrasound probe inside and then there's a little disc a chemical indicator disc that pops in as well um, just to make sure it's it's a check to make sure that the cycle was performed correctly and then you shut the door and hit start okay and so during that time what do you do <laughs> well at that point where usually we go and we uh, document in the health record our you know, what we did with the patient. And a lot of times, you know, we're, we're a pretty busy team. So usually I'm, I'm documenting and I'm answering pages. And generally, by the time I finish with that, I come back. Sometimes I'll grab some more supplies. And by that time, usually the seven minutes are up and it's ready to go. So um, it will tell you that the cycle is over and you can remove the probe. And it the Trophon has a little printer attached, and it spits out two labels, the particular model that we have. I think there are some more wireless ones now, but uh, the one that mm -hmm. we have prints out two labels. One goes on the ultrasound probe itself, so we have a little uh, thin bag that slides over the ultrasound to keep it clean, and then we put that label on to confirm that that is clean and ready for the next patient. And then the other label goes on our log, so we keep a log of every cycle that we do with the ultrasound probes. And so on that label, we put who the clinician is, our initials, what ultrasound probe, so we have our different probes named, and then we put the patient's uh, encounter number on that label as well. So instead of keeping a big binder or a folder with us, we just slide that paper in our little tray on the Trophon, and we fill that out every day and then scan it in at the end of the day so that we don't have a big bulky binder mm -hmm. okay. with us. Okay, so, so then it, it facilitates record-keeping for you as well. Exactly. Wow. So we okay. were told that Jayco would look for this when they did their um, inspections or whatever. So mm -hmm. we do have it daily. We scan it in. We have two Trophons on our team, and so we have T1, T2. We have a little folder in our computer that it's all scanned in, and um, there's numbered cycles, so we... You know, you can tell by looking at it that we haven't missed a cycle and how many cycles we've done. We've had it about a year and a half, and I think we're probably at about at least 6,000 cycles. Wow. wow. So, so you have some pretty heavy use in your facility, both yes. with pick insertion and short peripheral cath or midlines mm -hmm. as well. Okay. So if we also happen to be on this on a 
the floor that we need another IV. So after we've left that patient's room um, and we're trophoning the one ultrasound probe, we can grab the extra probe and move on to the next patient if we, you know, if we want to, if it's right there, we can do that so that we're not delaying any care with the patient. So that's where the second probe comes in pretty handy. So your workflow did have to change a little bit. And it sounds like your organization invested in a couple ways. Uh, They they added two probes, uh, one for each of Mm -hmm. your ultrasounds. And then they bought two Trophon machines and then whatever supplies go with that. Um, right for you so um, you really don't have a delay of care that you're noticing is that correct not really I mean it is um, it is a little bit inconvenient it would be nice to be able to just move to the next patient and maybe chart at the end of the day because we're in healthcare and we know how things can move Um, but having that backup ultrasound probe really helps to prevent that delay, and it's just, you know, we just have to go with the flow. Healthcare is mm-hmm. constantly changing, and we have to rise up and and meet those challenges mm-hmm. and figure out the best way to care for patients. Okay, okay. So it sounds like let's go back to your uh, large group meeting. You had so many people at the table, and it sounds like you had the right people at the table, mm-hmm. um, and. I think what you described is pretty natural, where um, something new, you know, kind of puts some ripples in the pond, and everyone has a a way of thinking about this, Um, a change that's coming up, the cost that's coming up, you know, finding your way through um, a lot of options to the final solution, and then dealing with the process change. What would you tell someone else who might be in your shoes, who needs to go down this path and is going to be that lead in their organization, what would you, what advice would you give? I think that the, the main thing we have to remember is that we want to do what's best for patients. And if this is what's been found to be the safest um, method for ensuring that there's no um, transmission of bacteria between patients, then that's what we should be doing. And I think if we keep it patient-focused, um, that just kind of hopefully keeps us on track. And um, I, I really felt like, and I'm, I'm fortunate that our facility and, and the group that got together uh, was very open-minded. There were, there were some heated conversations in, in the room and trying to figure out everything and is this really necessary? But ultimately, like I said, they, they also agree and in in the facility where I work is very patient-focused and really wanting to do what's best for patients. And so, um, yeah, it was a big chunk of money. Our hospital did purchase 12 of these machines so that they were in different areas where they're being utilized and not just for vascular access, at least for the vascular access team. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've also had to kind of be the champions because other people, you know, had to add it to their workflow as well in the OR and in the emergency room and whatever. So we've just kind of shared our experience with our team and, and how we do it so that it makes it a little bit easier for them. Um, and I think, as I said, just keeping it patient-focused makes, makes 
the process much easier because mm-hmm. ultimately that's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. Did I answer your question? You did. You did. Okay. Um, so let's talk just a bit about some other options. I mean, you, you, we kind of landed and talked first about the choice that you guys made mm-hmm. um, as far as the method, but were there other methods um, that you explored that might have been feasible to accomplish high-level disinfection as well? Yes, there are liquid sterilants that can be used. Um, For our team, it just didn't seem like the best option because there's a lot of regulations that go with room temperature, liquid temperature, ventilation, and things like that um, to perform the high-level disinfection using some kind of liquid chemical sterilant. I don't know all of the ins and outs of it just because I don't do that. So when we discussed it with this group and someone was there from Central Sterile, it would have meant um, purchasing lots of ultrasound probes because we would have had to clean the probe um, and then put it in a biohazard box and send it to sterile processing. So that just the transportation of that probe to sterile processing and then whatever time it takes for that process and then returning it back to us mm-hmm. was just going to take too much time mm-hmm. um, for, for our needs. Um, and fortunately, we were able to find a device that was much quicker that worked with our ultrasound probe. We I do see. have some sister hospitals in our um, IU system that have different ultrasound probes that are not compatible with the with the trophon, so they're looking at other methods mm-hmm. to disinfect their probes. Okay. Well, this is, uh, you know, typically a newer conversation. Um, you are one of a handful of people that I could reach out and talk to today that said, you know, not only did we um, recognize this need, but we acted on it, moved on it, and we're or we are already in practice. Um, you it sounds like you're situated quite well with your documentation as well that if a regulating body uh, were to visit your facility, you would have your documentation that's required. Um, and mm-hmm. tell me, you know how much is that worth to you to feel like you're just a little bit ahead of the game, perhaps? Um, you know, I, I guess I really am not too worried about being ahead of the game. Uh, at the end of the day, we just want to take care of patients the best way that we Good can. And I just am very grateful that our facility saw the value in this and really um, it, was a, it was a matter of just a couple months between the initial conversation and when we had these trophons on site and we were using them. I think maybe three months total, which is amazing. Because nothing in healthcare moves that quickly, but they really <laughs> saw the value in it, and um, it just it just was very we're very fortunate, and our patients are fortunate too. Good for you. I I certainly want to applaud your work. So Molly, we are kind of wrapping up our time here together today. Is there anything that I haven't asked you? Is there anything that you would like to share with our listening audience about this topic? Well. I think that I again I just my my goal is to keep things patient focused and yes it is a challenge to do this and it is um 
I'm sure there's teams that are much larger than our team. We have a, we're a 300 bed facility. We have seven vascular access nurses. Um, and we cover from 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. during the week and 7 to 7 on the weekends. But I know there's much larger teams, and I, I'm sure that this will not be the easiest thing to incorporate into your workflow. But it can be done. Um, it, it just, like I said, just focusing on the patient and what's best for them and treating people the way we want to be treated. If that's my dad that's in that bed, I want to make sure that you have the cleanest probe or the most disinfected probe before you use it to enter his bloodstream. So I think that's just where we have to keep our focus. Excellent. Well, you have done us a favor today. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, to share your story. Um, and it is truly a good story. I have a feeling that you are very well respected in your organization to have had that level of impact and the ability to compel others to move quickly on behalf of patients. I really applaud you. Well, thank you. And this concludes our episode of Talking in Vain today. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>